0: Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today I want to review my five rules to help you find the perfect, fun-to-drive used car at a price that's within your budget. These rules are simple yet effective, and if you follow them during your search, you should be able to find the vehicle you want at a great price with less effort. But today, in addition to reviewing the rules, I'm also going to talk about how things can go a little bit sideways when there's more than one person involved in the decision-making process of finding a used car. So let's go over the rules, and while we do, I'll give you some examples of how you may have to approach things a little bit differently when you're searching for a car with your partner. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. If you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you may recall that I reviewed my five simple yet effective rules to finding a cool used car at a great price way back in episode two. Now quickly, those rules are, number one, know your budget, or as I like to say, know your budget so you don't blow your budget. Number two, know what you want. It's really important to know the vehicle that you want. You know exactly what you need, okay? Number three, you want to be realistic about your search so you stay focused on exactly the car you want. Rule number four, you want to be patient. And rule number five, you want to be ready, meaning when you find what you want, you want to be ready to buy it. Okay? Now, back in episode two, I was helping my nephew Nick find an adventure vehicle that was within his relatively small budget. He knew he wanted an SUV, but he wasn't exactly sure which one to shop for, so we worked our way through all five rules. And the process of doing that helped him focus and find the perfect SUV at a great price. Now, there's some really useful information on this topic in that episode. So if what I cover in this episode appeals to you and you have time, I suggest you go back and check that one out. It's episode two, and you can hear how my nephew found a really solid 2002 Toyota Sequoia that fit his needs perfectly. Okay, so if I've covered these rules before, why review these rules again now? What's so special about today? Well, first of all, we're starting to transition from winter into spring. And although it may not seem like it based on the terrible weather right now all across the country, eventually the weather will get better. There's going to be more sunny days than rainy or snowy days. And when that happens, buyers and sellers of used cars start to get a lot more active. You're going to start to see a lot more cars on the market. You're going to start to see a lot more people looking for those cars. So, if you're going to be in the market for a new-to-you, used car in the next couple of months, it's really the perfect time to review the five rules again. It's also the perfect time for me to personally review these rules for myself, because I'm back in the used car market as well. You see, I'm trying to figure out what to get as a replacement for our family SUV that was totaled when a tree fell on it back in January, earlier this year. I'm sure you've heard about it. I've talked about it a few times on the podcast. Now, if it was only me deciding what to buy next, there would likely already be a different car or SUV in the driveway. But since my wife's car was the one that got totaled, her opinion matters way more than mine, as you can imagine, right? Now, the trouble is, I spent a lot of time paying attention to what's available in the used car market, so I already have an idea of what I think would make a good replacement vehicle for my wife based on our budget, based on you know what she's interested in, but she's not really into the car search thing. That said, as my wife and I work our way through these rules together, we've hit a few bumps in the road, and I'll share some of those issues that have come up for us as we try to determine our budget and decide what to buy as a couple. So let's start with rule number one, which is know your budget, or as I like to say, know your budget so you don't blow your budget. Now, most people blow past their budget number because they don't consider the extras. These are things like sales tax. If you live in a state like I do where there's a 10% sales tax or, you know, whatever percentage is for you, that's going to be an extra cost. There's also the license and title of the car. And if you're going to have a pre-purchase inspection done, that can be maybe 100 or 150 on the low end, and it could go up to a couple hundred dollars on the high end. And another thing that people don't really think about are things like unforeseen repairs. So you might not know it, but the tires on the car could be worn out, especially on the inside where you can't see it. The brake pads could be worn out. You might need new brakes. The battery might be just about ready to die. There's a whole bunch of things, and some of these would come up in a pre-purchase inspection, and that's one of the reasons you do those. But some things just happen. Sometimes parts are just worn out, and they break right after you buy the car. So you want to have a little bit of money in reserve to fix that if you need to once you buy the car. So to stay at or under budget, whatever your budget number is, I always suggest to people that they reduce it by 15 to 20 percent, and that should be the target price of your vehicle for your search. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say you have $15,000. If you knock off 20 percent, that really means you should be looking at cars that are about $12,000, maybe twelve to, say, 13000 now look, I know I sound like your mom, right? <laughs> you know, shut up mom, I'm going to spend 15. Okay, you can do that, but if you spend 15,000 or you start looking at cars that are $15,000, it's not going to be long before you're at 17 or 18. And hey, wait a minute. What if you're going to finance that car? Well, it's going to cost a lot more money. So, just be real cognizant of how much money you actually have and what it's really going to cost you, not just the car itself. But the license, the title, the taxes, the hidden repairs, anything that could possibly hang you up and cost you more money, right? Now, once you've got your budget worked out, the second thing you want to do, and this is number two, you want to figure out what you want. You want to know what you want. Now, this seems really obvious, right? (laughs) But seriously, people don't spend a lot of time with this. They'll get kind of general, like, I want a sports car, I want an SUV, whatever. But they don't really think deeply about what that means, But the more time you spend up front getting really clear about the features you want, the features you need, the more likely it is that you're going to find a vehicle that meets your needs, right? And don't underestimate how important this step is in the overall vehicle selection process. Your search really can't begin in earnest until you know exactly what you're looking for. Now, like I just mentioned, I know a lot of people who start looking only with a vague idea of what they want. Then they buy something because you know, they get tired of the process, they're not really that focused, and then they spend the next few years justifying the purchase of a vehicle that was less than stellar. And that's just because they didn't spend time up front. But if you take the time to figure out what you truly need and truly want, then you won't have to fool yourself into thinking your car is okay, because you know it's okay. You know it's perfect because you figured that out in advance. You knew what you wanted. Now, in that second episode of the Better Than New podcast, the one I mentioned earlier with my nephew Nick, You know, I was helping him figure out what to buy. He knew he wanted a larger four-door SUV, but he really wasn't sure exactly which one. He thought maybe like an older Toyota 4Runner. He also looked at the second-gen Isuzu Trooper, along with the 100 Series Land Cruiser or its Lexus equivalent, the LX470. The problem was he really couldn't afford the 4Runner and the Land Cruiser. They were, you know, a few thousand dollars over his budget. I think his budget was around 6500 And the ones he was looking at, the Land Cruisers and Forerunners, were starting out around ten and going on up from there, 10000 And while he could afford the Trooper, those are kind of hard to find in good condition. So that's something that's going to take time. And he didn't really want to spend that much time. So basically, after really digging into what was important to him, he knew he needed something large to hold all his camping gear when he went out in the woods and did his thing. He knew he liked Toyota quality. And he really liked the idea of having something with a V8. He especially loved that 4.7 liter Toyota V8 that came in the Land Cruiser. Well, interestingly, the perfect option was just a few clicks away and almost hidden in plain sight in the form of the first generation Toyota Sequoia. The Sequoia is a large SUV and it came in four wheel drive and two wheel drive and it had that 4.7 liter V8. The other great thing about the Sequoia, and I think, frankly, probably the greatest thing, is that while land cruisers and forerunners kind of get thrashed pretty hard off-road by their owners over time, you know, there's some that don't get driven off-road, of course, but a lot of them do, Sequoias were really more often used as sort of a kid runabout vehicle, a family vehicle, something where you'd be doing duty driving kids to soccer practice or going to the mall rather than the mountains. And it didn't take my nephew very long to find a great example in his price range. However, without really digging into what he wanted, rule number two, and going on test drives and getting a good understanding for which features were most important to him, he likely wouldn't have included the Sequoia in his search, and he would have overspent his budget or found something that wasn't ideal. So to find the right vehicle that works for you within your budget, it requires some serious effort on your part. It takes time to research your options. But once you do figure out what you need and what you want, the remaining steps become much, much easier because you figure figured out your budget and you have a target. You know what you want. But what happens when a couple has to decide what they want? Well, sometimes you're completely in sync with your partner when buying a vehicle. Now, back when we bought our first big kind of kid hauler vehicle, which was a 2005 Honda Pilot that we purchased used in 2007, my wife and I were pretty much on the same page with what to buy. We wanted something with room for us, our two kids, and all our gear when we go camping or skiing, and it needed to convert to a seven or eight passenger vehicle during the week to haul multiple kids to school since we traded off driving duty Monday through Friday with neighbors to haul our children to and from school each morning and each afternoon. Now, in addition, it does snow where we live, so we needed something with all wheel drive that could go in the white stuff. And my wife and I didn't want something that kind of reeked of being a soccer mob vehicle. That meant minivans were out, and all-wheel drive SUVs were in. Now, we drove a lot of vehicles, but the only two we really liked were the Honda Pilot and its Acura twin, the MDX. And in the end, we liked the driving dynamics and the slightly larger size of the Pilot. Plus, the price was lower, so that's what we ended up buying. It was a pretty easy decision in the end. We were both on the same page, so, you know simple. But today is a little bit different. Now, our Toyota Highlander was a large-ish multi-passenger SUV, sort of like the Pilot. And while we really don't need something that big anymore, we were planning to keep it a couple more years since it worked well and could still be a decent camping and trailhead rig. But since the Highlander was totaled, our plans to replace it have been moved up a couple of years, which wasn't really ideal. And now we have to figure out what's next. So I started the process by asking my wife what she wanted. And she said, you know, I'm tired of always driving the, quote, family vehicle, unquote. I'm like, "Okay, no problem. How about we look at something more, you know, sporty, like maybe a 2008 through 2013 Infiniti G37 Coupe. It comes in all-wheel drive for the occasional snow we have and while it's only a two-door, it does have two kind of usable seats in the back for those few times when we need to take another couple or maybe our kids along for the ride. I also offered up a more kind of classic option in the form of the Lexus SC400 Coupe. Those were available from 1992 through 2000, and they come with a nice smooth V8. And again, it's got usable seats for the occasional extra passengers when needed, but the SC400 doesn't have all-wheel drive, so, you know, that's kind of an issue. Still, it's in our price range, it's cool, and it's likely done depreciating and will go up in value over time. It's also fun to drive, and it's not a family car, so why not? But my wife's response was, no, I don't think I'd be happy with either of those. Okay, well, then I asked her, you know, "What would make you happy?" She said, "Well, I like to sit up high. I like to be able to see the road in front of me." Like, okay, yeah, those two are a little bit lower to the ground. I get it. She said, "I also want room for four or five people." I'm like, oh, they do have seats in the back, yeah, but I really want, you know, extra doors. Okay, so a four door, got it. Uh, she likes the idea of a hatchback. Now, some coupes do have a hatchback, but these not so much. And after considering those three things, we're really kind of back into SUV or crossover territory. Okay, well, I said to her, well, maybe we could get something that I've covered or will cover on the podcast, like the second-gen Nissan Xterra, or the Infiniti FX45 SUV, or maybe even a Jeep Wrangler TJ. Those are cool. All of those place the driver in a higher seating position. Now, my wife has driven the Xterra, We drove one recently, and that's literally on our list of possible vehicles. She did like it, and she had driven the FX45 before, a couple of years ago when we were testing cars before we bought the Toyota. We drove one of those, but she said that she really didn't like it that much. It was hard to see over the hood. Like, okay, well, what about the Jeep? Well, I showed her some photos, and she thought it was interesting, but she wasn't 100% convinced since it's older. And again, I'm trying to find something that's fun and within our price range of about 15000 give or take a 1000 or so. So I'm just throwing out ideas. Well, after digging a little bit more, she said, you know, she really wanted something newer with, quote, all the features, unquote. Well, After quizzing her on what all the features really meant, she was really just wanting a backup camera. Some new safety features were great in her mind, but really the backup camera was the big thing, which can be installed in any car after the fact. So that wasn't really a concern. And then we started getting into the details, and it really kind of came full circle back around to the idea that she really wants one of the newer small SUVs. That would be something like a Mazda CX-30, a Subaru Crosstrek, maybe a Volvo XC40 Or a Hyundai Kona. Now, I know a lot of people aren't cross shopping Hyundai Kona's with Volvo XC40s. I get that. But I'm just giving you an idea of what the size would be. Now, I agree, those would be great vehicles for us. However, they would really be great vehicles in a couple of years when we were actually planning to get rid of the Highlander. That's when their prices would have hopefully come down. Now, who knows what's gonna happen with inflation? Things have just gone crazy price wise but I would expect some of those cars to be a bit more affordable two years from now. But, you know, we can't do that. That tree came crashing down on our car, and it had other ideas about timing. And since we're trying to keep within a few thousand dollars of our insurance payout, those cars, which are really more in the twenty-five to $30,000 range, are really outside our price range at this time. And sure, we could take on a payment, but we're not going to do it, so now I just have to come up with some alternatives. And again, we have the Xterra. We have possibly the Jeep. And then I pointed out another one. I said, what about a third-generation Toyota RAV4? These were available from, I think it's 2006 through 2012. And if you get the RAV4 with the V6, that's like a 200, I think it's 270, 269 horsepower. It's really quick. It's, I think, just about the same engine that was in our Highlander, but it weighs a few hundred pounds less. It's got room for five but some of them do have a hidden rear seat, like a two extra seats in the back, if you can find one of those vehicles. And while it has that kind of spare tire that's on the rear swing-out door, which I don't like, there are a few that were made without the spare tire on the back. And I think it looks a little bit better. It's more convenient, technically, having a full-size spare. But it doesn't look as good to either one of us. So we'd probably look for one that doesn't have the spare tire. That said, I did a quick search, and I found a two-owner 2008 V6 model. It had, 140,000 miles, but for a Toyota, for a car like that, it's really not that much. Our Highlander had 147,000 miles when it was totaled, and it was fine. But this particular car was literally, from the pictures, I didn't go look at it, but it was in, like, perfect condition. With all maintenance up to date, it even had that third row seating. It had new tires, it had new brakes, no accidents. It was a two-owner vehicle, and the asking price was... $8,500. And I was like, oh my God. And I showed it to her and I said, this is a great deal and it won't last more than 24 hours. And I was right. It was gone within 24 hours. It was gone probably within 12 hours. So that went pretty quickly, but I showed it to her and I said, I could call on this right now. We could go look at it. What do you think? And I think it was just too quick for her to make any kind of a decision. So I get it. I know these cars well enough to know that she would probably be happy with it, but I don't want to force that. Now, I also found a two-owner 1999 Jeep Wrangler TJ. It was the Sahara edition. It was green with a tan hard top. Also had a soft top. It had been garaged most of its life. It was in excellent condition. And same thing. The asking price was $8,500. And I said, honey, these cars typically in that kind of condition, that particular example, Is going to go for 10,000 minimum. It's probably more like 12,000, 13,000. And some people are asking even more than that for those cars. I said, that's going to be gone in less than a day. And sure enough, 12 hours later, eight hours later, it was gone. So we're able to find some cars that are interesting, but nothing's going to happen until we actually go test drive some of these cars. I'm going to have to take her out and do the hard work of having her test drive various vehicles in our price range. That's going to be like, again, a third gen RAV4, a Jeep Wrangler TJ. I I still think we should test drive a G37 Coupe. Hey, why not? You know, she might find she likes it. We'll go out and check a second generation Xterra. We might even go back and try the FX45 or FX35, which is the six-cylinder version of that vehicle, and maybe even some other Infinity crossover vehicles. They make some really good stuff that's in the price range. Now, I could easily go with any of these choices today in spite of their differences. They're not all the same. They're, you know, some of these are very different. The coupe is much different than a Jeep, right? But the only way she's going to know which one is best for her is to literally go test drive them. So that's what we're going to do. And I'll let you know how it turns out. But to make that process really work, you got to make it fun. You know, if it's just me, I can make it like a mission. I could just, you know, go in like, like when I'm shopping at Costco, I know exactly what I want. I like, you know, I'll take my cart and I'll park it somewhere and then I'll you know, work my way through all the people who are kind of slow carting their way around, around through Costco and go exactly to the, you know, I need a block of cheese, I need this bag of coffee and I need this bread. Boom. And I'm done. And I head for the checkout line. These other people are just sort of like a buoy on the ocean, just sort of floating along. They don't know what they're doing. It drives me nuts. But, you know, if I'm looking for a car, if it was just me, I mean, I'd be on a mission. I'd be on a mission from God. But with my wife, I'm going to have to take her out and literally go drive these things. But it's got to be fun, like I said. So we're going to tie this to specific places that we want to go that are, you know, within 20, 30 miles of where we live. So for example, if I find a car that I want to go look at that's 20 miles north, I'm also going to pick maybe a restaurant or a coffee shop or some, maybe a trailhead that's nearby. So we go drive the car and then go do something fun. That's the only way this is going to be fun for her. You know, again, I can knock off three, four cars driven in a day. That doesn't bother me. But I'm insane. I'm not like most people. Most people don't want to do that. That isn't fun for them. It's fun for me. I don't mind doing it. I don't mind talking to salespeople. I don't mind telling them no. It's not a thing for me. I don't care. But for her, you know, we're going to make it fun. So that's what I suggest for you if you're shopping as a couple that you make that process fun of choosing which car you're going to purchase. This is still we're still back in the part of what do you want to buy? So make sure you do that. Make sure you make it fun. Okay. Now assuming you figured out which car or truck you want and you're starting your search, you need to follow rule number 3. Be realistic about your used car search so you stay focused. Okay? It's important to stay focused. So it's really easy to get caught up in the excitement about the purchase and lose focus. But that's exactly why you do the first two steps first. You figure out your budget, and then you figure out what you want. And that's going to help you stay focused. Now, Knowing your budget, knowing exactly what you want, will keep you kind of grounded, and you won't waste time looking at cars or trucks that are fun, but they're out of your price range, or they're not right for you, or both, right? Now here's an example of how that can happen. how you can be looking at one thing and you kind of get turned to something else. And dealerships are really kind of famous for this. They want to turn you to the next car in the lot if you don't like the one you're looking at. So a couple of years ago, when we looked at that FX45, my wife and I, it wasn't really a great example of the FX45, but I wanted her to drive the car to get a sense of, you know, what's it like? Well, we brought it back and we'd already decided we would never buy that particular car because it was terrible. But, just about four slots over was a BMW X3 SUV. It was cute. It was red. And it was wrong. <laughs> My wife's like, oh, look at that. That's really cute. Of course, the salesman's like, oh, let me show you that. Let me get the key. I'm like, no, 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 thank you. We're going to go talk about the FX45 and we'll get back to you. He's like, are you sure? My wife's like, come on, let me drive it. I'm like, no, we're not going to drive it. And we left. She's like, why, why couldn't I drive that car? Here's the thing. At the time, we still owned a 2011 Mini Cooper S. And for those of you in the know, that's really a BMW. It's made by BMW. And I had been going through check engine light hell on that car, kind of running down every little module and every little sensor and thing that had failed over time to get everything to work right. And I must have replaced... I don't know, dozens of those things over a six-month period of time. In fact, I replaced everything that could go wrong on that car. It was in really nice shape when I finally sold it, but I was just exhausted. I'm like, I'm done with this thing. And the trouble with some BMWs is they have a lot of little niggling problems like that. When they get up in miles, and this one, I think it had 150,000 miles on it. And I was just like, you know, the bells were going off in my head. Ding, 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 ding. No, don't get another BMW. You're going to be stuck chasing down trouble codes. It's going to make you crazy. And I just told her, no, it's cute. It looks nice. I don't want to do it. So she's like, okay. But that's a really good example of how you can kind of get pulled off track. You'll see something that looks good, and they're going to make them nice and shiny on the dealer lot for you but it's really easy to get confused, so stay focused, right? Be realistic. You know what you need. You know what you want. you figured out your budget, so be realistic and stay focused. That's going to keep you on track to getting you what you want. Now, I'm not opposed to you having some fun, maybe. Like if you're out looking for a pickup truck at the Ford dealer, you're looking at F-150s, and then you see a Mustang, and you think, you know, I need a break from all this test driving stuff. Do you mind if I drive that Mustang? and you take it out for a test drive, and you bring it back, and then you go off and you buy your truck. Hey, that's fine. But if you go out to buy a truck, and then you come home with a Mustang, that's, that's a problem. That's your problem, right? You didn't stay focused. So when you know what you want, and you know your budget, and you stay focused, you're going to stay on track. So do that. Okay, so the next rule is rule number four, and that's be patient during your search. Now at some point during your used car search, you're going to feel like you're not making any headway, you're not even close to finding a car you want, and you just want to give up and just buy the next thing that you see because you're just tired, you're kind of emotionally wrung out. Now, we've run into this before, my wife and I when we were searching for our Toyota Highlander. This was in summer of 2019. It was the, you know, beginning of the pandemic. We are actually at a point where the prices on used cars were going up again, and one of our kids had totaled our Honda Pilot. <laughs> they were fine. They didn't get hurt, but the car was destroyed, unfortunately. Anyway, we had to replace it, so we'd been looking for like a month, and we were just, you know, we were kind of done. And I think it was a Saturday. It's a really hot day. It was like 90 degrees out. We were driving around in a Mini Cooper, and we went to one dealership, that had a Subaru wagon that we wanted to check out. And we took it out for a long test drive and you know, honestly it was just sort of just sort of meh. It was just okay. It was fine. It wasn't great. I don't know why. We but we just weren't in love with it. So we brought it back, told the guy no thanks. There were like three other people waiting to buy it, so we just kinda like left. I'm sure they sold it right after we left the place. Anyway We were supposed to go take a drive that was about a half hour away to go look at another car. And we just thought, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's just go to Dairy Queen and get a couple of vanilla milkshakes. And then there was one more car that was close to us that it was this Highlander that we ended up buying. But we'd kind of seen it a few times in an ad. We thought, yeah, we'll check it out eventually. Just not that excited about it. So we went and got the milkshakes, kind of took a break. You know, got recharged from the sugar and the, you know, the cold drink. And then we went over to this dealership that was going to be open for like another half an hour. And we did some paperwork, gave them our license. And they said, yeah, go take it for a test drive. Just remember, you got to be back in like 25 minutes. So we get in the thing and I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to take it on the freeway. Just going to go down to the next exit. I'll get off and I'll let you drive back. And we'll, you know, see what we think. And if we really like it, we can come back tomorrow because it's 15 minutes from our house. So I drive maybe not even a quarter of a mile. I start to get on the freeway. I'm accelerating. And I just look at my wife and I said, I'm done. This is it. This is the car. And she's like, really? Yeah. I mean, we've driven enough cars. I've seen enough stuff. I know that as soon as you drive this, you're going to go, oh, I really like this. And then we're going to make some kind of a deal. So literally get off the next exit. She gets in, turns around, comes back. She's like, yeah, this is really nice. So, we ended up coming back the next day after a good night's sleep and had, you know, kind of slept on it. We came back and made a deal and bought the car. So, sometimes you got to treat yourself right, but you got to be patient. We had kind of gotten to a point where we would have bought anything. And I think if we'd gone to see that other car that was, I don't know, 20 miles away, we probably would have missed out on this one. And then we'd still be searching and it would have taken much longer. But We just kind of slowed things down and just did what was right for us. We were patient and it paid off in the long run. And you can do the same thing. So definitely follow number four, be patient during your search. Now, the next one is rule number five. It's the last one and it's be ready to buy when you find the vehicle you want. So this seems pretty obvious and you might think, well, I'm ready. You know how many times people are not ready to buy? Now, when I did that show with Nick, my nephew, uh, episode two, he missed a couple of cars because he literally didn't have the cash available to buy it. It was coming. It was supposed to be getting it from, I don't know, his uncle or a friend or something. I don't remember the details, but he didn't literally have the money yet. So when he'd go and find a car, he'd test drive it. He's like, I want this car. And they'd like, well, do do you have the money? And he was saying to them, no, it's going to take me a few more days. And they're like, I'm not waiting a few more days. And then they'd sell the car to the next person who came in because it was an inexpensive SUV. And at the time, people were just snapping those up because they were kind of cheap still. They're not as cheap today, but they were then. So he was having a tough time. But when he finally got his cash, he was able to do it. But he wasn't quite ready. Now, my older son and I had a, not the same experience. We were actually ready to buy a car, but in episode 20 of this podcast, the buy it like they stole it, we found a $1,650 Honda Accord to replace our stolen Honda Civic, that particular episode. We literally went out to find a car to replace the Honda Civic that my son had gotten stolen the weekend before. It had only been a week, and I told him, I said, let's let's find you a car. And he said, you know, I don't have much of a budget. And I'm like, okay. So literally I found this car. I wangled my way into being the first person to look at it the next morning, like at eight o'clock in the morning. And we get there and we take it for a test drive. And, you know, basically we decide, yeah, let's buy it. Let's do it. Well, the guy didn't have the title yet. So we had to come back later to get the title. And we also had to go to the bank to get the cash because I told my son, get the money out the day before. So you're ready to go. Of course, he didn't do it, right? And when we were going to go to the bank and, you know, the guy was going to go pick up the title from his sister, I guess it it was his uncle's car or something. You know, always a story with cheap cars, right? Anyway, um, (laughs) we go to the bank. And before we left, the guy says, well, can you put a deposit down? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. And he says, how about $500? I'm like, "Uh, I don't have $500 on me. And I asked my son, I said, do you have any money on you? And he's like, oh, I got like $20. So between the two of us, I think we scraped up $100. And the guy's like, I'm not really sure you'll come back for 100 He goes, but if you leave your license, I'm fine with that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be driving. So I told my son, I said, you give him the license. And then we'll go to the bank. So <laughs> my son gives him his license. But, you know. Me, Einstein, and Einstein's son are too dumb to realize that, oh, we're going to the bank to get the money out, but he won't be able to get the money out without his ID, which he's now given to the guy that he's buying the car from. So (laughs) we get to the bank, and then it's like, you know, it's just clown car stuff. <laughs> we go up to the counter, and he's like, oh, I need to get some money out of my account, but I can't because I gave my license to the guy buying the car from. And everybody was sort of laughing. We figured out a way to work around it. They were able to give him the cash, the sixteen fifty for the car, but it was just insane. And all he had to do was get the money out the day before. So it could have blown up our deal. It didn't. Things worked out. But, you know, really be ready to buy. And that's ready across the board, all kinds of things. So here's another thing that you might want to think about on that be ready to buy thing. So for a car that's 1650 we didn't do a pre-purchase inspection on that because the inspection would have been like 10% of the value of the car. So that's kind of stupid. But um, we just took a chance. I mean, here was our pre-purchase inspection. We drove the car. It didn't catch on fire. It didn't explode. Ugh, it's perfect. But if you're buying something that's like 15,000, 20,000, 25,000, you're going to want to have that thing inspected to make sure you're not buying a car that's got a problem, right? Well, what are you going to do when you're 10 miles or 15 miles or 25 miles away from where you live and there's no mechanic that you know nearby to do a vehicle inspection? Well, if you know the brand of vehicle you're going to buy, in this particular case, we bought a Honda. So, If we knew we were going to buy a Honda, you'd want to have a few import car repair shops that you knew were good. You'd already called them in advance and said, Hey, if I have a car and I need to bring it by on this day, because I'm going to go look at it that day, can I get an inspection done? Can you give me like an hour of time to go pull the wheels off, check the brakes, check all the fluids and whatnot, and make sure the car is in good working order? Well, you need to do that in advance because... If you get there and you think, I need to do a pre-purchase inspection, and the person doesn't want to wait, they say, well, if you can do it today, I'll do it, but I'm not going to wait two or three days. Well, you want to have that lined up in advance. So that's another way that you can be ready to buy when you find the vehicle you want. You want to line that stuff up beforehand. But definitely, definitely, definitely have your financing and your cash ready to go. And while you don't want to walk around with tons of cash, if you're buying a car that's $20,000, you don't want to be walking around with $20,000 in cash. That's just an invitation for a robbery, right? Uh, But in the particular case of this $1,650 Honda, we should have had the cash in our pocket. $1,650 really isn't that much money. So that's it. Rule number five. Be ready to buy when you find the vehicle you want. So the next time you're in the market for a used car, truck, or SUV, be sure to follow these simple rules. Number one, know your budget. Number two, know what you want. Number three, be realistic so you stay focused. Number four, be patient. And number five, be ready to buy when you find a vehicle that meets your needs. If you stick to this plan, I think you'll have an enjoyable and successful search for your next cool used car. And if you have to go through this process with a partner, put in the extra time to make sure everyone's on the same page. And try to keep it as fun as possible when you actually hit the road to look at vehicles you're interested in buying. This is one of those activities where the journey should be just as much fun as the destination. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of Better Than New. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and follow this podcast so I can keep bringing you used car information and used vehicle reviews each week. And until next time, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.